Good morning. You guys making it? Yeah? Good. Good to see you. Good to be with you. Um, you remember photo albums? I mean, some of you may still have them in your house. Some may not. Some think the only photo album they know of is on their phone or on their computer, depending on what you have. Uh, the Polaroid camera was something else. I mean, that was a revolution, okay? It's still cool. If someone were to bust out a Polaroid at a party, people would still get excited because now we've got – we can take a million pictures – on our phones, like nobody's business. And, and you think about the Polaroid, you snap it, and all of a sudden, well, that image that you got there, it's going to come out. And I remember when it would shoot out, and it would be white for a while, and you'd shake it, and that didn't do anything, I don't think. And so you thought, oh, but it's, it's, it helped you feel. It's like pressing the button at the sidewalk. You know, that doesn't work, right? That's been, like, scientifically proven that does not work. Uh, but it makes you feel better, like, okay, it's going to happen. The light's going to turn so I can walk. That's what you did with a Polaroid. See, snapshots, I've done this, maybe you've done this recently. We used to go through, we want to go back and relive, you know, go down, walk down memory lane, we go and we get this big box of pictures out. Now, most of the time, we go to our Facebook timelines or Instagram feeds, or we go on what's on our computer, or you even have to look no farther than your cell phone, right? Because I can get about 2,000 pictures on my cell phone right now, and at any given moment, I have some random stuff, some pictures of my kid, uh, some pictures with my family and my wife. Am I right? Anybody ever done this before? And you probably have a million of these selfies, okay, because we're so into ourselves. And now the new iOS software on your phone, if you have an iPhone, will actually put all of your selfies in its own folder. Isn't that amazing? Snapshots are really cool things, and I found my sometimes every now and then, uh, you may be like me. Every now and then, you'll find find yourself at your computer, and you're like, "I need to get some work. I'm going to answer some emails." But first, let me check Facebook. And so then you're like, "Oh, well, oh, look at this picture. Look what happened six years ago today. Oh man!" Before you know it, you were sitting. Don't lie to me. You're thinking, "I would never do that during business hours. That's insane." Before you know it, you're like, you're thinking about like, "I remember that trip back in 2008. It was so much fun." And you're saying, look at how little the kids were. Look how, oh, man. And before you know it, that snapshot, you're looking back at how your life was. I want to get you, and we're going to be in Acts again today, Acts chapter 2. And there's a snapshot of the church that, the, that Luke takes under the inspiration of the Spirit. And it comes right after Pentecost. And remember what happened when we looked at last week. I know a lot of water has been under the bridge since last Sunday. But if you can think back, we saw the Spirit of God come on the church to empower the witness of the church to let the world know who Jesus is. And they're not left without power. If you, you know, to be left without power is to, to, to be like a power saw about, without being plugged in. It's actually less effective than a regular saw, than a hand-powered saw, because it has no power. And so now what's happened is the church has been empowered to share the gospel through the coming of the Spirit. Then they start speaking in, in known tongues to people under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and people think they're drunk. Peter stands up and says, they're not drunk like you think. They're filled with the Spirit of God. And, here's, and he, gives, he, he explains to the people in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, the first part of it, he explains to them the gospel, who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, that he has come, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, the chosen one of God, who's come, lived the sinless life. He's been killed by you people in Jerusalem so that he would bear sins, and he rose to show that God accepted it. Now you must repent of your deeds, your sins, and trust Christ. And we get to verse 40 of Acts chapter 2. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, this is Peter. Now, I want you to know this. If you ever look at, if you look at Peter's sermon that's in Acts chapter 2, it's really short. And you may think, well, I don't, <laughs> I'd like sermons to be that short, okay? But this, this shows you that this sermon was longer than that, okay? All right? Just want you to get that. Verse 40, and with other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So Peter preaches. They just get the, just get the, uh, the, the Reader's Digest version of the sermon. And then it goes on, and it says, he continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. Then verse 41, Peter says this. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the Spirit empowers the church. The Spirit empowered Peter to preach this message. He was pro- it was probably like a United Nations thing because everyone else is speaking in this other language. So it's quite likely that Peter would speak, and then you'd have some interpretations going on all around by people getting it into another foreign language. And he preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people come to be saved. Now, do you remember, if you go back and look in Acts chapter 2, there were people from everywhere that were gathered in Jerusalem. You don't believe me? All you got to do is just flip back one page. I want to read this real quick. Here's where the people were from. Are you ready for this? It's a long list of a lot of fun names to say, and I just, I'm feeling like we need some, some, some dexterity here. It starts in verse 8 and says, and how is this that we hear each in our language? And here is, here's all the people who were there. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, there you go. I couldn't, my, my mouth was not working there. Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them all in their, our own language, the mighty works of God. Do you get that? There's a lot of people there, right? Right? Are you, are you, everybody okay out there? You all right? Tons of people from tons of different areas. They fill Jerusalem for this festival. God brings his spirit out. He's divinely working this plan to build his church. And when the gospel is preached, people believe. And then there's a summary statement of the church that Luke gives us in verse 42. Because what is he doing? He's trying to get us a snapshot of what the church looks like. And it's going to help us see what the church should look like. In verse 42, he says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and, all, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the possessions to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a little snapshot of the church, and I want you to know something. The church of God, the word church is the word ekklesia in the Greek language. It means called out ones, ones who are called out. We see this idea, ones who are called out of sin and death 
into life. We see this other, the ones who, have, who are called out of the way of the world. Jesus would talk about it being a broad path that leads to destruction, called out to the narrow way that leads to life. You're being called out. You were once your own person. Now you are in Christ. This, you're called out of the nations, and you, you identified yourself with your nation and with your tongue and with your creed, and now you are identified with Christ. That was what this means. And so the Lord has called people from all nations, tribes, and tongues to himself, and he has called them to be his set-apart people, his church. And this snapshot, what I hope it is for us today, is like us looking at all the snapshots we have on our timeline, or all the photo albums that we, we have, and we look at it, I'm not talking for nostalgia's sake, nostalgia, not nostalgia, but the joy it can bring to look at the pictures of what God has done. You know what I mean? I was just going through pictures the other day, and it's not all of them are the best of memories. It's, some, it's, it's funny, though, how sometimes the hard memories fade away and you only remember the good stuff. It, t- it tends to happen that way. And I just think, I just, I look back and I, I, I get something posted on my timeline. All my years in youth ministry, usually kids are like, in the pop on the timeline, if I see some kids I used to minister to, they're like covered in chocolate or something, because that was something I had to do with, you know, like we, were, we threw flour at each other. But I see this kid, I saw a kid the other day um, on Facebook, who's now, he's getting close to being married, and he's following the Lord. He got out of college. He, he, he's, he's loved his, his he's, he was raised by a single mom. He's always loved his mom. He's, he's in his Bible now, and, and I saw him there he was on one knee and he had a piece of chalk in the air there's a long story why that was that was happening but I look and I was like that is a sign and evidence of what God has done and it encouraged me and brought joy and sometimes and especially in a place where that is over churched and under Christian like all the places in the Bible belt you look at a church and you only see the negative things and there are some negative things that's not Jesus's fault by the way That's sin, people. But I want you to get this, that when we, I want us to look at the church, and I want us to be, I want, I pray that joy would rise up as we look at all these little snapshots of what was going on in the church that's empowered by God for mission. I want us to see how amazing it is that we get to be a part of a faith family, a community, an ecclesia, to be called out ones, joined together in a community for the purpose of not to make ourselves feel better, but the purposes of God. And I hope we look at that, and, and just like we would on the Facebook timeline, maybe we dwell for a second and be like, oh, that was cool. I remember that. And to know also, how many of you, when you're scrolling through those pictures again in the snapshots, you're not thinking, hey, we need to go back there. Disney World was fun. <laughs> I want the ears because when I wear the ears to the office, people look at me weird, okay? <laughs> Don't do that, please, all right? Amy tried. I stopped her the other day. So let's see. First off, I want you to see, and the first snapshot I want you to see here is that the Lord added 3,000. But look, look in verse 40 and 41. I want you to see the way, into the, the way into the church, the way into the community of God. You see it in verse 40 and 41. It says this, And with many other words, remember this is Peter preaching, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. He called them out about their sin, especially their great sin of having the Messiah crucified. 
although through this they were going to know life. In verse 41 it says this, and those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day 3,000 souls. What you have here is a twofold thing. If you just look at it, there is that, that Peter preaches this gospel, this good news. Part of this good news is always that we repent of our sins. Repent means to turn. The second thing, it, part of it, is that we believe, okay? That we believe and we put believe, trust, faith. Have you ever noticed uh, that faith sometimes has this connotation of you really don't think things are going to work out, but you just have faith that it will? It's kind of become, our culture has made faith like, I really, really hope it works out. See, no, faith and trust, is, it's putting weight and all of your dependence on what is happening, on this particular person, place, or thing. And in, in the case of biblical trust, it's, look, trust that Jesus is from God, that he is God in the flesh, that he, his sacrifice on the cross wasn't just another execution. His resurrection really happened, and that my only hope to be made right with God is through Jesus. Turn from your sins, believe that, and then there's the baptism aspect of it too. Baptism does not save us, but baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality of what's happened, and it is the necessary outflow and welcoming into the people, the called out ones of God. I want to harp on that for a minute because it's very important that you profess what you believe extremely important. So the way in is through repentance, faith, and an expression of that faith in baptism. But I also want you to notice this. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. The added here is passive in nature. Get this. This is why it's so important to respond to the gospel immediately. Because you don't know how the Lord's going to continue to strive with you in your heart. The, faith, the very repentance and faith that we bank on to enter into the community is nothing that we can produce in of ourselves. It has to be an outward act of God that we would even repent and believe. Do you hear that? It's supernatural coming into the church. No, it's not, Matt. I, I came into the church this way. I, I pulled my car up. It wasn't very supernatural. And then I opened that door, and then I walked through this door after I got coffee and came in. No, no, no. What I'm talking about, you can be a, you could come to a meeting. You can be a part of the festivities. You can sing the songs. But to come into the church is to be united with Christ and to be together with a group of people who worship him and to be united together with one another. It's the idea of community. And communing, we're going to see this again in verse 42. So the thing, the way in, repentance, faith, that's, it's a work of grace that, that, that God does. You add you to the kingdom, and then it's expressed by baptism. We have a baptismal service coming up May 8th, and there are some here that have, have come to faith in Christ. It's the mercy and grace of Jesus. He's given you the grace of, of repentance and faith, and now you need to express that. And so we're opening those doors May 8th if you want to if you want to be involved in that, contact an elder. In verse 42, it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship. The second hallmark of the church, the first thing is we see the way in, repentance, faith, which is all of a work of grace, and we see it's expressed in baptism. 
The second way, the second thing we want to see about the snapshot of the church, I hope you make it love, make you love it more, is that they're devoted, continually devoted to the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine sounds like a big scary word, doesn't it? Sounds like a very churchy word. It can be. What, what is your doctrine? Have you asked someone that recently? I'm going to walk down here and get a little sip of water. I just want you to know that before you're like, why is he coming down here? I got a little dry mouth. Sorry about that. Thank you. I appreciate that, Helen. I've been given an excuse. So have you ever, have you talk like that? What's your doctrine? I was at a conference in which people did say that, and when someone asked me that, I was like, <laughs> fun. Um, doctrine is really important, but we don't use that word very often. And I want you to notice what they devote themselves to. They devoted themselves, complete they wanted to know it, what the apostles' doctrine was. They, they committed themselves to the apostles' teachings. Other, other groups, other translations will say doctrine. And so basically, here is what they were devoting themselves to. Do you remember the Great Commission? Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth. Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. He is speaking to the apostles who witnessed his ministry. And so the apostles have a unique grace that they understand. They have been given this position that they wit- I witnessed Jesus' ministry, and then they were given a special, unique task of receiving from the Spirit the, an understanding and, rem- and a, a supernatural remembrance of what Jesus has taught, but also to receive from the Spirit under inspiration words of doctrine to help the church understand from, time, from this time forth a faith once for all delivered to the saints. So I want to get something. The church has always been a place where they are devoted to the apostles' teachings. That's what we mean by doctrine. It means what did the apostles teach about Jesus? Why is that important? There's a couple of things. First off, they witnessed it. Secondly, Jesus commissioned them directly. Thirdly, their unique position was seen and evidenced by the fact that they did miracles. Okay, those miracles were not like, just like when Jesus was like, behold, water into my wine, hold the happy meal shall feed the 5,000. It was not so, behold the amazing Jesus. What was it done for? To show who Jesus is. The miracles that the apostles did in the first century were not kind of what we think about when we think about charismatic stuff. It wasn't just signs of power to make the minister look amazing. It was signs to authenticate that these men had been with Jesus and the words they were saying were true. Does that make sense? And so there's something unique about this when we hear the apostles teaching. That's why we're such Bible people. Because God delivered his message through his son who came as a man and then he continued there was a continuing revelation for a time through his apostles one untimely born being paul who wrote most of the new testament under the inspiration of the spirit but also through others peter and john and james you see this the, those who had been and witnessed the ministry of jesus had 
had been empowered and had been spirit-driven to do this. So what does this, what does this mean? The church, our church, every church, every church that's a true church is devoted to the apostles' teachings. Every true church, every, you're not going to get up and get us like to, to open up a book other than the Bible and teach you. You know why? Because though there may be some good ideas in it, it's not God's truth. If, you, if we ever got up and we just cracked open a book of sermons from some guy like, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, and we started reading it to you, first off, you'd probably be bored because it was <laughs> these and thous would be in there if it was a couple hundred years ago. Secondly, if we started doing that, you should be like, this isn't right. If we started reading, I heard a tale of one time. This is a frightening story. That someone read a children's book as their sermon. I know this person. I was not thrilled. Do you know why we don't get up here and, and read children's books? It's not, it's not the Bible. It's not the doctrine of the apostles. We reopen this book because we believe God has spoken and we have seen evidence that God has spoken and this is his very word. And so they devoted themselves to the truth of Scripture. That's why it's amazing. We're actually some of the last people on the face of planet Earth that can have legitimate disagreements because we actually believe that there is a truth. Most everybody else is like, if you disagree with them, like, man, that's just your truth, man. I don't care if it contradicts my truth because it's just your truth. What? That's insanity. Let's apply that to anything, you know. I believe I can jump out of a plane without a parachute, and I can fly. It's my truth. No, you can't. Can you imagine, like, arguing with somebody about that? No, don't do it. It's my truth, man. You're being kind of judgmental right now. I just don't, I feel unjudged, okay? No, it's a fact. You jump out of this airplane, you're going to hit the ground and explode, I don't want you to do that. You're just judging me, dude. See ya. Okay? We're like the last people on the face of planet Earth that have truth. And it's not our truth that comes from within us. That is hogwash. Spoke to a guy in Louisville the other day, and he was talking about, like, you know, he's talking about his inward truth. I'm like, really? Inward truth? That's not where I look for for truth, bud. I know what goes on in me. That's exactly, this is, they devoted themselves, the church is a place devoted to the apostles' teachings, devoted to the scripture, devoted to the word of God. That's, what the, that's a snapshot of what the first century church was doing. Now, they had the Old Testament for sure. Then they only had the apostles' teachings. We are, uh, we are blessed among the people because we have the apostles' teachings in our scriptures. We have the story. We got it. It's been once for all delivered. The canon is closed. It is God's word, and we can bank on it. They had bits and pieces for a while, but now we got it. God has given it to us, and so we should devote ourselves to it all the more. Secondly, the, th or the third thing about the church, we see their way in. We see the apostles' doctrine. We see this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship 
And then this, and there's a comma, and that helps us here because it un- helps us understand what the fellowship is like. And it says, the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It also is going to go on and say later that they were breaking bread from house to house. And so there's this idea of fellowship. The word is koinonia. You're probably, if you've been in church in any amount of time, you've probably heard the word koinonia. You've probably even seen a worship band with the name koinonia because that just tends to happen. Okay, we've got a Greek word. We're going to use it, okay? You may have been involved. If you're ever involved in a youth ministry, I guarantee you, you heard koinonia, okay? And you usually would hear it from the youth minister telling, separating guys and girls, that is not the koinonia we're talking about here, okay? That's not the type of fellowship we need, okay? Hand check. Stay away from each other, okay? Nobody's dealt with teenagers recently. Sorry. Fellowship. They, here's, and here's the call, this idea of a community, the idea of being, to, of being together, the idea of being united around a common purpose theme. The idea also this word carries is communion, that you have a, you are, have a give and take relationship with one another, but also the idea is a communion relationship with God. And so the fellowship of the church is bigger than just when we get together and, and go eat after. The fellowship of the church is something that happens in the worship time, especially when we do when we break bread. And the break bread is probably um, a reference to the Lord's table, as well as they used to do it this way. A lot of us can't think about this because in a, in a little while we're going to do the Lord's supper together. And here we get you a little wafer and the bottom cup. It took me like three times. I didn't know. I was like, where's the bread? Like three times when I was here, I was like, where is the bread? I was just, I was just fake it. I'm being honest with you. I'd fake eating the bread because I'm like the visiting pastor. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be out of fellowship. You're seeing the, that just happened, okay? And some of you are like, that's the first time I came, I did the same thing. Thank you for acknowledging that. The bread is underneath there, and then the cup, is, and then the, the juice is in the middle, okay? When we do that, it's hard for us to think about, like, it, no one come up to you afterwards, like, hey, you want to go eat? No, I am stuffed. I had, unless you were a supermodel, okay, you didn't eat that and be like, I am just good. I am totally full. I had bread, and no, but see, what would accompany in the early church, we get an idea of this in the book of Corinthians, what would accompany the Lord's Supper would be a feast, a love feast, agape feast, if you will, that would follow it. And what does that basically translate now? We do the Lord's Supper, then we fellowship. All right, we had chicken, all right? So I don't know what they had, okay? Smoked fish, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> no need to speculate. But nevertheless, this the Lord's Supper, doing the Lord's Supper was connected with worship. And so, so many times we feel like that our fellowship, like we can fellowship over here and have a good time and play cards. And then on the other side over here, our fe- we, it's not fellowship to worship. And they're both fellowship when they're understood within a context of, of the gospel and the context of we are encouraging one another daily in our faith, our mutual faith, and we are encouraging each other in the mission. Don't get me wrong here, because here's this, here's, this, here's this problem we have when we start looking at the church. We tend to get real focused on what the, on the inside the church. And we forget, though, that this community was not made just to stay here. It was made to go out. 
And so as we're looking at this, no, this is what life is like, but the life, the reason the church still exists is for the mission of God. And this fellowship is for the discipling of the believers to carry out the mission of God. And so this fellowship is not an end in and of itself. It's part of the mission. And so we go on and we see that this fellowship, he gives us some understanding. It was the breaking of bread. It was probably the Lord's Supper, and it was probably they were eating together. There is nothing that can draw people closer than eating together. Something about it. I don't know what it is. Like, we all got to eat. We do it together. How many of the best times I've ever had in my life have been around a dinner table, okay? Several times, like, we're going to do some, we're going to have this activity, and before you know it, all you did was eat and talk and laugh and have a good time. And that is part of what it means. Or you have some great discussions about truth, about the apostles' teachings, about doctrine, about the scripture, about how you're going to apply this in your life, about the struggle you're going through. How many times has that been the case? And the Lord's Supper as well is a great way for us to remind ourselves again and again that we are centered around Christ and his, his, his death and burial and resurrection. So all the things we do here center around him, all the fellowship. And we also, also prayers. I used to have this, um, I almost worked at a church one time with a guy who went it, go into a spontaneous prayer, and it made me very uncomfortable. You know why it made me very uncomfortable? Because I never knew when he was going to do it. He would say, Brother Matt, how are you doing today? Well, I got a test coming up this week. Jesus! And I was like, you didn't give me any chance, bro. I mean, like, I don't know. He'd be praying for two minutes, and I'd be like, what happened? You know, he, sometimes he wouldn't even, uh, he'd raise his hand. He wouldn't even shut his eyes. I didn't know what he was doing. I was like, you got a question? And I think about this, and, I, and, I, and I'm joking about it, but how many times do we say, I'll pray for you? But remember, they're devoting themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and fellowship. That fellowship includes, obviously, the Lord's Supper and fellowshipping in that way. It also includes eating from house to house. What else did it include? Well, it obviously includes prayers. And I want you to give you this just, just word. We need to be about prayer, not prayer as gossip like prayer requests is gossip. Oh, bless their heart. Let me tell you about so-and-so. Not prayer like that, but devoted to prayer, to asking, beseeching God on, our, on other people's behalf and actually doing it because I, sometimes I caught my, catch myself, I'll pray for you, and I actually don't. So that guy, though, the warn people before you're going to pray, unlike my boy several years ago didn't, I'll tell you, some of the best things you can do is when somebody has a problem to pray for them immediately. Church, if we've got to a place where when we had a problem or when we had something that made us upset or we had, we just grabbed each other and we prayed about it immediately or we grabbed someone else and said, I'm struggling, let's pray about it immediately, it would change. Because what is the center idea of fellowship here? It's communion with one another and communion, relationship, a shared relationship with God. And that's the hallmark of the church. It's not that we're just the people together that believe the same thing. But we also are people who, because we believe the same thing, we have community with each other, communion with one another, and we have a communion with God. There's a give and take. There is a relationship there. And the snapshot, I hope it reminds us of, oh, yeah. It's really easy just to go week after week, because this happens every week. We get together, and we just kind of go through the motions. But there is something rich and deep and God-sized about the church, because it's his creation, and it is his beautiful bride. 
We go on, look in verse 43, we'll speed up a little bit. In verse 43 it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Just when I told you, don't keep your eyes just on the center of what the church looks like, it goes out. Here's what happens. The apostles are continually, and the people are continually going out and spreading the word. The apostles specifically are doing this, and they start doing signs and wonders. Remember, these signs and wonders are not just to behold their apostolic uh, power. It's to show that their message is authenticated by the power of God. And so we have this situation. If you go, you got some homework to do, Acts 3 and 4, go read it, because here's one of those situations. What happens, there's a lame man. He asks for money. And so what happens is Peter says, I ain't got any money. What I do got is, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy said, okay. And so he got up. He was lame. He got up and he walked. And you know what that did? People were like, oh, that's cool. No, they flipped out. They're like, oh, tell us what happened. And so what, this opens the door for Peter to preach the gospel. And he does. And guess what happens? The people that had crucified Jesus, the ones who had not believed, they get very upset. They thought they got this Jesus issue down. So what do they do? They arrest Peter, they arrest Peter and, and John. And, and what, what happens is they, tell, they scold him and say, don't preach in Jesus' name anymore. And they're like, well, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God. And they go do it. And you know what the church does? The church contacts their congressman. The church gets so upset that their religious liberty has been violated that they get picket signs, and they yell, and they scream, and they get angry and belligerent, and they get mad, and they want somebody to represent them who's mad. No, you know what they do? They pray and ask God to make them bold. Church, we got a problem. If you're, see, here's the thing. When the ministry of the gospel is part of the church, and the church has always been persecuted. Now, our persecution is not like the persecution of our brothers in Turkey right now who have legitimate threat of death, or our brothers in Iraq or in other places. Because we're not under the threat of being murdered, but we are marginalized. We are looked down upon. But I want you to know something. The, the way to go is not anger. Because Jesus said, hate your enemies, and elect people that hate your enemies too, right? No. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Just, just think about this for a minute. The, the believing church does not the persecution is a part of the believing church. We just have been so removed from it for so long, we don't realize it. And so just when we get a little bit of pushback, we want to, no, you can't do that. The persecuted church is the church that God, time and time again, has done amazing things through. You know why? Because they're less dependent on themselves and more dependent on him. So what does the church do? You can look in Acts chapter 4. What do they pray for? They pray for those officials to have, you know, to be, to be uh, removed? No. What do they pray for? God, give us boldness to keep proclaiming Jesus even though they don't like it. The picture of the church is a ministry that continues the preaching of the gospel empowered by the Spirit, taking the apostle teaching everywhere in the face of in the face of persecution loving the persecutor and exercising a supernatural love that only the spirit can produce in us it's not natural to love your enemy is it it's natural to want to run your enemy over with your car so it is the work of the spirit 
that the church can love its oppressors and throughout the history of the world. That is how the church has grown. We are not like Islam. We do not take up the sword. Our founder and our cornerstone said, put away your sword, Peter. This is not my kingdom. So I want you to hear that the church is a ministry that continues. It's not easy. It's, it's filled with persecution, but it's also not filled with belligerence and anger. Going on, <laughs> I asked my wife, do people really, sometimes you've been in church, maybe think people that they think that the fruit of the Spirit is crankiness? It's not, Okay. So if you are getting more and more cranky, you might not be following the Spirit. Okay, just free, okay? Free. Look at verse 45, if you, 44 and 45, it says this, and all who believed, talking about the people, one more snapshot, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, it was very important to understand two things. There's two extremes you can fall off on this, on this road. You can read your political theory and your economic theory into this, and you can go one of two ways, okay? Um, one of these ways is that the church is, is practicing communalism or communism. It's not. There's still, the church still has possessions, but there is this great care and concern that the people in the church have for one another that when they saw a need, they didn't see their possessions as their own. They saw everything in light of who Christ was. They saw everything, they saw their brother as who they actually were, as a brother and sister in Christ, and so they were willing to sell their property. Now, these are this heightened language because it was, was all of it was heightened languages, and they said they sold all their possessions, but it's evident people still have houses to meet at. And so, and we see later on that it just wasn't, they didn't sell everything. It wasn't like some cult where they, well, the world's ending in three weeks, let's sell everything and get in a big commune. Remember, Jesus already answered that. When's the world going to end? It's not for you to know. Oh, yeah. So they're not preparing for that necessarily, but what's going on is that there is a care and deep concern and love and generosity in the church. Listen, the church has her scars and has her faults and has her flaws, but I want to tell you something. Even in some of the churches that have been, been some of the deadest I've ever seen, there is still a remnant there who have shown great generosity to those inside and outside the community and shown great love. I want to know something, that the church is one of those places. And especially know that this church, with, all, with, with the good and the bad that we all have because we are made up of, of, of people who still struggle with sin, there's some great generosity and care and concern that has happened here and that continues to go on. And I want to encourage you, church, that's a part of our life together, that we love each other, that we are not willing to, to tell people, not just tell, we love you, but actually to open our wallets and help them. That is a mark of the church. Now, I want to get down here in verse 46 because I guarantee you that we're gonna, we could be guilty of this other sin when it comes to looking at the church. If we could just go back to how it was in Acts chapter 2, the early church, we'd be right. There's a problem with that. Read the Bible. They're still messed up. They're in one accord, but they still got problems. Look at me in verse 46. And day by day, Attending the temple together, 
and breaking bread in their homes. They're worshiping together. That's what the in the temple. And they were breaking bread in their homes. So they were doing small group stuff. They had food. The Lord's Supper was going on. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They recognized, remember, this is communion. They're communing with each other. Who are they receiving it with generous hearts from? God. They're communing with God. In verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day. Now, That sounds great. And honestly, some aspects of this have, are in our church. Some aspects have been in church I've been Even sick churches I've been have some of these aspects. This is a snapshot picture of the church, but I want you to get this. This is not a message that makes, let's just go back to Acts 2 days. And if we just sold more of our stuff and no, here's what happens. If you look and go on and further, and here's more of your homework. Go to Acts chapter 5. You know what happens? People start selling their possessions, and people get jealous about how much other people are giving to the church. So Ananias and Sapphira, they sell some land, and they say, I'm going to give all this land, I'm going to give all the proceeds from this land to the apostles to distribute for everybody has need. There's a problem, though. They're liars. And they, gave, they kept back a part of the money. They could have. They could have. That's the thing. But they decided to lie about it, and pride had snuck in. And what happens? Well, I hope this doesn't happen, okay, to, to us, anyone here. But they drop dead. Wow, that's a problem. Can you imagine if we had to call the coroner today? Please, I hope that doesn't happen, Lord. Please don't let that happen. <laughs> Every time the journey curse gets together, they have to call the coroner, Okay. <laughs> We would stop. We'd have this building inspected. It, something would go down, okay? But what I'm getting at is that the Lord, he loves his church, and, and he deals with sin in this church, but there was sin in the early church, right? But God dealt with it, and the people of God dealt with it, and he's given us mechanics by which to deal with it because we have, so, we have, we have el, a team of elders. We have um, so many things that the Bible calls for. We have church discipline. We have Matthew 18 where it talks about how to go to a brother who sinned against you. If that doesn't work, take a second person with you. If that doesn't work, you bring him before the church. There's so many ways to deal with sin in the church. And so, and God has given us the spirit to help us do that. So the church is, it looks great. The church is great, but it's got problems and flaws. It's got sin. Secondly, it's got misunderstanding and hurt feelings. Here's another homework for you. Go to Acts chapter six. You know what happens? Remember, there's people from all over that have been converted, right? All these different people, all these people different speak in different languages, and they start distrib- they're distributing food to widows and orphans, and some of the widows of a particular group are being, uh, and from what we understand, they're, they're, they're not getting the proper food that they need to get from this distribution. And, they decide, but, and so there's an uproar. Hey, we're not, we're not being treated fairly. So you know what happens? They appoint, they, they appoint deacons to help the elders be able to preach and the apostles to preach the gospel and the deacons serve in the church and they fix that problem. Acts chapter 6. The church still has sin. God's working it out. He's weeding it out and he's given us the discipline. He's given us outlines of how to work and remove sin, mortify sin in the church kill sin in the church, but it's still there. There's also misunderstandings in the church. It continually happens. So now, I hope you're going, whew, because I was thinking, 
We have some of these things, but we got problems too. So did this church. Here's what I want you to get. There is a supernatural thing that the church is, and we get to be a part of it. How? By faith in Christ, who has given us this, the gift of repentance and faith, and we have believed, and we've expressed our faith in baptism. We've become a part of this communion of, of saints, and, we, and fellowship is a part of it. We're devoted to the, doctor, the, the apostles' teaching. We're... Or we're all in about ministry, even if it's hard and we're persecuted, we're all in. And the church is about love and generosity for one another and those outside of the faith. And then also we see the church is beautiful, but it's got its issues. I like, I, I like people. I like to be around people. I like to joke with people. And then let's say, and I like to meet people. I met a lot of people. I got to go to a conference this week. Met a lot of folks I didn't meet, got encouraged in the gospel. And um, I, I could just imagine how it would be if somebody came up to me and was like, man, Matt, I like to, he says, I, I know your wife, and I just wanted to just meet you. I said, oh, well, great. I, man, thanks. I, nice to meet you, too. And said, you know, I, I got to know your wife, and I just hate her guts. She is just awful person. She does not do well at her job. She is mean and nasty. And I said, I'd be like, first off, have you met my wife? Would be the first thing I would say. And the second thing was like, well, excuse me, sir. You might like me. He said, well, I like you. I've been listening to your podcast, okay? I like you, okay? We've been listening to Journey Church, Hartsville stuff, okay? I heard, I, we got friends and friends. I like you, but I hate your wife. You think we're going to be pals? It might come to fisticuffs, Okay? Man, oh man, we say some bad things about Jesus' wife, though. Who's the bride? I've been guilty of it, too. But I want you to know something. He is washing her clean. He is making her new. The bride is the church, just in case you hadn't heard that analogy before in the Bible. And I want you to know something. Though she is flawed, the power of God resides in her and amongst the individual members that make her up. She is a beautiful, beautiful thing. She is still flawed, but the Lord loves her, and he is redeeming her. And I hope you see here, folks, that we are called into this beautiful fellowship to make Jesus known, to be empowered by the Spirit to make Jesus known. And how does that happen? He could have done it where he made us all our own missionary free agents, our own missionary commandos, where we don't ever come to church. We just go out there all the time, and we're trying to make disciples on our own. But that was not how he worked from the very beginning. He calls a people. He had the apostles. Think about it in the Old Testament. He had a people. And so God works to make himself known through his people. We are the gospel made visible in so many ways. And so church realize the greatness of the fact that we get to be a part of his fellowship that we are a part of his bride and i want you to know something we do not give up you know why jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church we are hell proof do not give up. 
Do not give up putting up with one another. Do not give up with forgiving one another. Do not give up with loving one another. Do not give up in encouraging one another. Do not give up in being generous to one another. Do not give, with, give up to encouraging others to share Jesus with people. Do not give up, church. Because we are the people of God by the power of God for the purpose of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Let's pray. God, we love you. As we approach the Lord's table, we pray that we would know true community, fellowship and communion as exemplified by these elements. We pray now that you would continue to work in our hearts and our lives through this time. And God, continue to help us be a church that honors you and knows your presence and spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.